Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Birth Launch Podcast. Guys, today's episode is going to be so, so good. And it is going to be a topic that I think every single expecting parent out there, it's like a top concern. And for every postpartum parent out there, hold on to your horses because you're going to be like, wait, are they spying on me? Are they like in my home? Today I have on my friend Eva Klein, who's the founder of My Sleeping Baby. And she's a certified infant and child sleep consultant. And we are going to be diving into how to get your little one consistently sleeping through the night. So enough for me. Eva, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I think people are probably chomping at the bit. They're like, all right, we don't even care so much about the beginning of the episode. Like, give us the good stuff. But before we dive in, quickly, just who are you? Who's behind the microphone? Who are we chatting with today? Yeah. So I am a certified infant and child sleep consultant. I help exhausted moms get their little ones consistently sleeping through the night so that they can be functioning humans again. And I got into this business because of my middle child. So um, I'm a wife and a mom of three. I live in uh, Toronto, Canada, and I my kids are 10, almost eight and almost three. Um, and so it was my middle child that got me into this business because interestingly, I'm actually a lawyer <laughs> by training. So in my previous lifetime, um, which wasn't, which was yeah, about 10 years ago now, I was working as a lawyer. I basically finished law school, had my first baby. Um, that first baby was like this unicorn baby that made me look amazing and was just so easy and happy all the time and, you know, slept amazingly. And then a couple of years later, when I was done law school and got called to the bar and I was working, I had, I gave birth to my second daughter who, unlike her older sister, you know, this baby was a very high needs, very difficult. I could tell from the second that she was born when I say the second, I literally mean maybe 20 minutes after she was born. I could just tell that this baby was different, that her temperament was different. She was, you know, fussier. She was crankier. I have this image of my husband. It was probably four o'clock in the morning and he's walking around the postpartum ward holding this baby, trying to get her to calm down. And uh, that was never the case with my older one. And so naturally she did not sleep. 
She was waking me every 90 minutes all night long, you know, when she was four or five months old. I was so exhausted. I literally felt like I was going to die. I was not functioning. I could barely cope with life. And I should just mention that I was on maternity leave. I mean, I don't mean to rub this in the faces of any of your American listeners, but I mean, here in Canada, we get 12 months of maternity leave. Actually, now it's technically you can take up to 18 months. Um, So I really, I hate mentioning this on an American podcast because I feel so terrible. My sister lives in New York. I should just mention she had her first baby about three months ago and she's going back to work soon and she's literally beside herself. So I, I, I know how hard it is, but it's, it's relevant to the story here and that I was on maternity leave. I was dying from the exhaustion. I had no choice but to open up the sleep books and figure out what to do. And I managed to make the situation a little bit better on my own, which gave me some some clarity, allowed me to defog my brain and say, hey, why don't I use up the rest of this maternity leave to get my certification and become a sleep consultant and launch a side business. And the side business grew a lot more quickly than I thought, because not surprisingly, when you help exhausted moms get their baby sleeping, take a wild guess what they do. (laughs) They go and tell all their friends who also have babies that don't sleep. And so about six months into me going back to work from my mat leave, I started doing this business full-time. I left my job and I took the, took a plunge, took the plunge and took a a risk on myself, right? Cause I really wanted to make it a full-time endeavor. And I haven't looked back ever since. Cause now that middle baby of mine is going to be eight in September. (laughs) Wow. That is such an awesome story of being able to to take the trials and tribulations of motherhood and parenthood and new motherhood and turn it into something that you can benefit from your baby can benefit from and your community community can benefit from like Eva, I'm blown away. That's awesome. That is <laughs> so cool. Um, okay, so we talk about sleeping through the night. Define that for us. Are we truly talking about like zero wake ups, or do we define sleeping through the night with only one wake up? Is it age dependent? What are we looking at here to set the stage? Yeah. So look, obviously, a four, a three to four month old baby isn't usually able to sleep eleven hours straight just yet. I do like to use one definition of sleeping through the night, and that is baby sleeping eleven to twelve hours on. Interrupted. Now, when is just to kind of make it, you know, make the standard like fairly black and white. Now, when is a healthy baby able to consistently do that? In my experience, definitely by eight months, but I've definitely seen babies younger than the eight month period be able to pull that off. But then there are just as many babies in that four to seven month mark that might still need that one feed around, let's say three or 4 a.m. So, you know, there's definitely, it's definitely a little bit baby dependent, but I would say for the most part, if a mom comes to me with a five month old baby who is waking her up, you know, two, three, four or five times a night to eat, um, even if that baby is exclusively breastfed, we can absolutely get that baby sleeping significantly better than the way that baby is right now. And I can tell you for a fact that when you get a baby who is waking up four times a night down to one night waking, it is a game changer <laughs> when it comes to mom's mental health, when it comes to mom's sanity, when it comes to being able to function on a day-to-day basis. 
Yeah, just being that functional human, I think, is huge, right? Okay, so what kind of things from birth should we be doing with our babies in order to set them up for the, you know, successful sleep foundation totally. to talk about? Because it's obviously something that is learned and kind of um, grown upon, right? It's not something that they possess from birth. So we have 100%. to- 100%. Kind of- you know, scaffold that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, listen, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I did with my son. Um, so my son is baby number three and he's, so he's the one that's going to be turning three in September. And I had him consistently sleeping seven to eight hour stretches by the time he was about six weeks of age. And I want to emphasize two things before I go in and tell you how I got him to do that. Number one, he was exclusively breastfed. That's always the very first question people want to know like, oh, well, was he taking down eight ounce bottles? Nope. (laughs) And he was still, he was exclusively breastfeeding and still sleeping like a champ. The second question is, is was he a unicorn baby like your older daughter? No, he was not. And he still isn't. He is very average textbook, you know, maybe not highly sensitive the way that my middle child is, but he was not this unicorn baby, this gifted sleeper that no matter what would be sleeping like a champ. So how did I get him there? So I'll tell you, number one is you want to make sure that your little one is never overtired. Overtiredness is a massive sleep stealer when it comes to babies of all ages, right? Whether it's, we're talking newborns, infants, toddlers, preschoolers, when a baby of any age is up for a period of time that's too long, that is going to cause them to become overtired and it's going to cause them to fight sleep and fight bedtime, wake up more unnecessarily at night, give you short crummy naps. It can also cause early rising as well. And so as a result, knowing because he was the first baby that I had as a sleep consultant, right? I had had been doing my thing for a number of years before I had him. So he was kind of like my first guinea pig, (laughs) then my own little, you know, personal guinea pig that I had to actually be able to apply everything that I had been teaching to my own baby. And so from day one, I made sure that he wasn't up for too long throughout the day. That's really the key here is to be looking at their periods of wakefulness. How long can your little one be up for before they need to go back to sleep? For newborns, the answer is not very long. They really cannot be up for very long before they're going to begin to get tired and need to go back to sleep. And so because I was so on top of his wake windows and I was, you know, looking at the clock, I was always saying, okay, he woke up from his last nap at one o'clock. So he's going to have to go back down for his next nap at this time, you know, depending, and obviously that time would be different depending on the age of the baby, but really, really being on top of their daytime schedule. And most importantly, understanding that what goes on during the day directly impacts what happens at night is really, really crucial. So, I mean, I'll, I'll give you, you know, a specific tip, especially for the newborns, don't be afraid of early evening naps. In fact, not, not, not only should you not be afraid of them, put your newborn down for early evening naps because your newborn likely can't be up for longer than 
45 to 60 minutes at any point during the day. And that includes the time of the feed. And so if you, if your little one is up from a nap at let's say six o'clock, then yeah, by seven o'clock, they're going to be tired again. And then if they don't go down for a nap at seven o'clock, they're going to get cranky. They're going to get irritable. That's my, that might be when you end up getting like the witching hour, which sometimes can be avoided if we make sure that we're not letting that little baby of yours get super overtired to begin with. Because you see, 7 p.m. naps for newborns, they have a bad rep. You know, I think maybe I'm curious to hear, you know, if the moms that you work with, he, he have like the same preconceived notions where they're saying like, well, I can't put him down for a nap at seven o'clock. It's so close to bedtime. So I'm just going to keep the baby up longer. Let not realize, of course, that they're going to get crazy overtired. And then it sets the baby up for a really god awful night. So overtiredness is key here. Yeah, you know, in the birth lounge, we do a lot of talking about um, wake windows, but the, the biggest misconception that I see, actually, there's two, and I'd love to hear your opinion on these. Number one is, well, the longer I keep my baby up, the better they'll sleep because they'll be more tired, obviously, right? right? Nope. Um, <laughs> not quite. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong answer. Wrong. Yeah. And then the next one is, okay, well, my baby's just not tired. So they'll sleep when they get tired. Again, wrong answer. Your baby yeah. doesn't have all the hormones to put them to sleep. We have no. to do it for them. Totally. Totally. Because falling asleep when you are tired to a huge extent for an, for a baby is still a skill and it's a skill that they're not born with, right? They have to be taught that. And as the day goes on, naps tend to get trickier and trickier for these babies because external homeostatic sleep pressure gets weaker. I know I just threw a big term out there, but basically there is this external force this driving force that it basically just describes this buildup of sleep that helps babies and, and children of all ages for that matter, you know, fall asleep when they need to fall asleep. But as the day goes on, when that external sleep pressure gets weaker, that means that the baby is going to rely more and more on you to help them fall asleep. And that's okay because they're really little, you know, don't worry if, I mean, gosh, my son was taking his last naps of the day, you know, either, Either I was holding him and he was on my chest or what would happen was he was, we would have to bounce him like in the bouncy chair, but like constantly. So the deal that my husband and I had was like around seven o'clock or seven 30 was when the leaf game would be on. We're like very big Toronto Maple Leafs, like hockey fans around here <laughs> in Toronto. And so, um, and so basically my husband's job was he was the deal was he was allowed to watch the leaf game, but he had to have my son JJ in the bouncy chair, like bouncing him the whole time to keep him asleep. And then that was how we would get in some of those naps and we would avoid allowing him to get really, really overtired. So yeah, I would say to both of those misconceptions, it's like one big, eh, because a overtiredness causes sleep to be worse, not better. And when they're up for too long and B sleep is a skill that newborn babies are usually not born with and they need to be taught. And oftentimes they really need to be helped falling asleep at first. So, you know, don't, don't count on their body language to tell you 
accurately when they are tired, nor should you be counting on the baby to just magically close her eyes and fall asleep when she gets tired because that usually doesn't end up happening. Yeah, I think so many parents don't realize that, especially because, you know, learning to sleep is not anything that you remember as a child. We all just kind of as adults, we just think you just learn how to sleep or you just kind of know how to sleep. And babies are often portrayed, I guess, a lot of crying babies, but oftentimes they just portrayed as like these angelic sleeping things. And that's not always the case. And it's certainly not they don't just fall asleep. It has to be a very intentional process. Okay, so let's talk about maybe some sleep regression stuff. Let's talk about the four-month sleep regression and the six-month sleep regression and how do we help support our child through that and hopefully keep them somewhat sleeping through the night during these developmental leaps. Totally. So the four month regression, I'm glad that you brought it up because that actually sort of connects to another tip that I have for parents to start implementing from day one. And, uh, and that is try to get your little baby down sort of awake, half awake, drowsy, but awake. In other words, not completely asleep, maybe once a day, try that. And the reason for that is because it's a very important skill set that your little one is going to take with them throughout the next months and years when they are learning how to sleep like a champ. Because you see, here's what happens by around the four month mark, which is when this supposed regression ends up happening. I'm going to put the term regression in quotation marks here, and I'll explain why in a second. When that, when babies reach that stage, what happens is that their sleep cycles undergo a permanent neurological change where they are now cycling in and out of deep and light sleep, similar to the way that adults do. Um, An adult sleep cycle is about 90 minutes long. To contrast that, an infant sleep cycle is typically about 45 minutes long. But they're basically cycling in and out of deep and light sleep over that 45-minute period. And so the reason why there is very typically a regression that happens at this age is because if you have a baby who doesn't know how to fall asleep by themselves, who has reached the four month mark, relying on feeding, rocking, holding, you know, something external to help them fall asleep, then it means that when they're now cycling in and out of deep and light sleep, there's nothing stopping that baby from waking up at the end of that sleep cycle. Not because the baby is hungry necessarily, not because they're hot or cold or scared or lonely, or there's something wrong, but they simply need you to come back and recreate those conditions and help them go back to sleep. Now, the reason why I don't like calling it a regression is because the term regression implies that it's this temporary phase that baby is going through and that all you have to do is just wait it out and then they're going to magically go back to sleeping sleeping the way they were before, which is not the case. For better or for worse, your baby is not going back to being a newborn. (laughs) Your baby's not going back to sleeping like a newborn and they are now sleeping like an infant, which resembles that of an adult. And so the solution at that age, if 
the baby relies very heavily on something like feeding or rocking to fall asleep, then we what we need to start doing at that time is begin teaching that baby how to put themselves to sleep on their own without any help. Now, thankfully, I was pretty much able to avoid any sort of sleep training with my son simply because I was putting him down drowsy but awake from basically day one, right? So again, he had me as a mother. (laughs) So I had already been doing this a number of years. And so I knew what I was doing with him, right? And I knew that I could avoid a massive, ugly regression if he knows how to keep himself asleep. And so that was why every single day from from the time he was a few days old onwards, at bedtime specifically, I I wasn't, you know, rocking him to sleep. I wasn't feeding him to sleep. I was purposely, you know, swaddling him up and giving him his pacifier and like putting him down, you know, trying to put him down as awake as possible. And yeah, sometimes he gets squirmy and make noise and not be happy about it. And I pick him up and calm him down and I try again. And then eventually he started really getting better at it. And then it meant that when he reached that four month mark, his his nighttime sleep didn't fall apart. Thank God for that. Because I will tell you, it's a very common age that people reach out to me for help where they'll say to me, oh my gosh, Eva, I don't know what just happened. My kiddo was only waking up once. And then just last week, he's now waking up every 90 minutes. Shit has hit the fan. I have no idea what to do. What in the hell is going on? Please help. SOS. I'm going to die. <laughs> That's more or less, you know, the, the the summary of many, many, many of those emails that I get. And you're not alone. It's a very, very common situation that I see. And there is a solution. There is a solution if you want it. (laughs) And the solution is just to play around with their naps during the day and make sure that their sleep pressure is right at night. Is that correct? We're just Well, so it's multifaceted. It's definitely multifaceted, right? In that part of the solution needs to involve teaching that baby how to sleep independently, right? Sleep training, sleep coaching, et cetera. And there are many different approaches here. This doesn't just have to involve cry it out. If cry it out is outside your comfort zone where, you know, you put the baby in the crib and you leave and you don't go back in, you don't have to do that. There are many other approaches that you can use, but part of the solution does need to involve teaching that baby to sleep so that they can connect their sleep cycles. At the same time, the sleep training is not going to work if that baby is overtired or undertired or not, you know, the daytime isn't, doesn't have proper structure, isn't biologically appropriate. So yeah, we definitely have to make sure that we've got those puzzle pieces in place first. And so that's why like in my signature method that I use to help these moms get their little ones sleeping, it's a four stage process. Sleep training is stage three. Right. So a lot of people don't even know that stage one and stage two exists, which involves looking at baby sleep environment, routines, the schedule, the, you know, the nap times, the daytime nutrition, you know, that all has to be down pat first in order for stage three, the sleep training to work as well. Okay. So what do you say to a parent of a younger baby, let's say less than four months old, let's say between two and four months old, and their baby just will not sleep 
more than 30 minutes. They try and put them down according to the wake windows that they think. They try and put them down full. They try and put them down awake. They try and put them down drowsy. This baby will not sleep more than 30 minutes. Yeah. What's the issue? <sighs> You're not going to like the answer, but this is the truth. There is a developmental component to being able to give you big, massive naps. I'm assuming you're talking about daytime sleep when you're talking about like baby won't sleep for longer than 30 minutes. So my sister has a 12 week old as of today. Um, and I've literally been WhatsApp voice messaging with her throughout the day where she's literally saying the exact same thing. Baby's name is Talia. She's like, Eva, Talia won't sleep longer than 45 minutes. What the hell? What do I do? And it's like this. We we want to obviously set the baby up for success as much as possible and that we want to make sure that, you know, the sleep environment is great, that the room is nice and dark. I'm a big fan of white noise machines, that the timing of the nap is down pat, that, you know, baby isn't overtired. But sometimes at this age, even with everything properly down pat, the baby just won't be able to pull off a consistently longer nap yet. Yet is the key word. There is a developmental component here. Um, by the four to six month mark is when babies, again, their sleep matures, there are further changes that happen neurologically. And that is when we are able to see those beautiful long naps emerge if your baby has been chronically catnapping. And as a fellow type A mom, I totally, totally get it when the 30 minute naps are driving you up the wall because it means that you barely get anything done. And so what I have been telling my sister is, don't worry if you have to do some naps on the go. If you have to put the baby in a baby carrier, if you have to, if you can take, if the baby falls asleep in the stroller, you know, for a nice long nap, that's no problem because they're little at this age. They're napping very frequently. They, they don't have to be taking every single nap in the crib. That's going to keep you totally housebound. And then it's not healthy for you or anyone for that matter. So yeah, have the baby take some naps in the crib, but let the baby nap longer in the, in the, the baby carrier, in the stroller, in the car, so that you can kind of, you know, have your cake and eat it too. And know that it is developmental, that they will be able to pull off longer naps in the crib eventually. And, but in the meantime, from, you know, one type A mom to another, because it's typically the type A moms that are, that are just driven up the wall by the 30 minute naps. The type B moms are like, ah, eh, okay, whatever. You know, they don't, they don't care as much. And it's like, God bless them because that's, that's really the way that we have to be when it comes to these 30 minute naps. Right. So that's what, that's what I would tell you is just, you know, do the best that you can recognizing that this is a phase that they will outgrow soon. Okay. So have your cake and eat it too. What are your suggestions to parents who are so rigid in their naps that they literally can't live life? They miss out on family barbecues and they don't go on the beach trips and they don't go to lunch with their friends because their baby's nap schedule rules their whole entire world. Healthy, not healthy. We've got a middle ground we can find. What are your thoughts on this? 
<sighs> there's a lot of gray, I would say to that, right? There's a, there's a lot to unpack there because I think a lot of it comes down to what works best for the family and what works best for the child, right? So let's, let's unpack this, right? So I've got three kids myself with three very different temperaments, right? I've got the unicorn baby. I've got the really difficult baby and I've got the average textbook baby. Um, and then, so there's that, right? So there's, there's, I think like two, Fact, main factors to be looking at when figuring out how to balance both is A, the temperament of the baby and what are the consequences in the sleep department, in the temper tantrum department, if the child is off schedule. And then B is the parents, right? How much sleep deprivation are they willing to suffer in the short term in the name of going to the family barbecue, right? And so I'll just say on a personal note for me, um, I am a monster when I don't sleep, right? I have always needed more sleep than average. And so as, and so the end result is that I have always been fairly, um, fairly inflexible when it can't, when it comes to sacrificing my sleep in the name of going out, right? So I would rather, if I have to choose between, you know, going to the family barbecue, but then waking up at 5 a.m. the next day because my little one was overtired, missed her bedtime, and now I'm, you know, cranky and irritable throughout the day. For me personally, it wasn't worth it. But there were just as many other people that might say, no, you know what? I want to make this work. If I'm up at 5 a.m. the next day, I don't really care. It's fine. I'll just take down a double espresso from Starbucks and like, I'll be just fine. But for me, I'm really not fine. Like really, really, truly not. Um, so there's that aspect of things. And then the second puzzle piece to address is the baby itself, right? So some babies are more inherently flexible than others just by the nature of their temperament. And so with my oldest, we were not very strict with her schedule because we didn't have to be. Um, she just kind of naturally slept no matter what and barely gave us any trouble. Um, if my middle child missed a nap, the sky fell, all hell broke loose, and literally my life was miserable for the next 24 hours. I kid you not, I am not exaggerating. Now, most kids are not like her, but given that I knew my kid and I knew that it would be literal hell around here if she missed a nap and was overtired and then would wake up at night and then be miserable for the next 24 to 48 hours until I get her back on track. It just wasn't worth it. Now with my son, who is my textbook baby, thankfully he has given us multiple get out of jail freeze. So there were, we actually just recently had my nephew's bar mitzvah a couple of weeks ago where, you know, we slept at somebody's, like we slept at like a stranger's house to be close to the synagogue. Um, he was, his schedule for that weekend was just completely out of whack. I napped him for three hours on Friday, which I never do knowing he was going to be up late Friday night, which he was, he was up until 1130. He only slept until 745 the next day. He then took a nap at 430. Like the whole schedule was totally out of whack, but it works. It works. 
he he slept. I got him down. He got he went down, you know, late Saturday nights. I got him back on track by Sunday. By Monday, it was like no problem. But if I had done that with my daughter, it would have been an absolute bloody nightmare. And so and so I think that there is a lot of nuance to that situation, right? Because if you, the mom, are struggling with postpartum depression and anxiety, and you are told by your therapist, like, you really need to be prioritizing sleep. Like, sleep is, you know, uh, which the vast majority of, you know, mental health professionals will say, you need to be prioritizing sleep, then there isn't much room for you to be risking your little one's sleep in the name of going out. Or maybe you might say, which we often did with my daughter, we're going to get a babysitter so that she can go down at the right time, and then we can go out and kind of have our cake and eat it too. Um, or it's a matter of like working, working, going out with friends around the little one's nap schedule. So in other words, I don't think that there is a one size fits all. There's no singular formula here because someone who isn't struggling with PPD or PPA, who isn't told to prioritize sleep over everything, doesn't have that same priority. And so for her, if she has one really bad night's sleep because she went to the family barbecue, it might not be as bad as for a mom who's really struggling on a good day and she's, you know, in and she's working to, to get better and proper sleep is like part of her healing process. So there's so many, you know, facets to it, but I think that it's important to um, have compassion and to be understanding when a mom you know, makes a decision, decides to prioritize her little one's nap over going out or vice versa says, oh, I don't care. I'll keep my kids up till 11 o'clock. Like it's fine. You know what? Like it really is one of those situations where mom knows best, right? Mom knows exactly what's going to work and what's not going to work. Um, and what might work with one child is not going to work with another. You know, my, my family often, you know, they'll see my son up late and they're like, oh my gosh, you never did that with Eliana. And I was like, cause it never worked with Eliana. Right. So what works with one kid isn't going to necessarily work with the other kid. What might work at one part of your life isn't going to work at another part of your life. Right. You know, maybe at one point you were struggling with depression and now you're not right. So there's so many gray areas here, so many puzzle pieces to unpack. And it is so subjective and so unique to the individual circumstance. And I think that we all need to be sensitive to that. So if you have a friend who's like, no, I can't join you for lunch because it's baby's nap time, understand that there, there is legitimate, real reason why that mom is prioritizing nap time over going out for lunch with you. And it's not because she's being uptight. It's not, it's, it's, it, there is absolutely, there's so much to prioritizing that nap. Cause I know I was that mom prioritizing that nap for me meant that my baby would wake up well-rested, that she wouldn't be tantruming all day, that it meant that she would go to bed nicely at bedtime and sleep through the night until the morning, which meant for me, I was relaxed. I was de-stressed. I was able to parent the way that I wanted to parent. It meant that I could wake up feeling like a normal functioning human the next day and not feel like I got hit by a truck, right? And there's, 
So I, I get it. I totally get it. But I also know that for other people that might not work, right? They might really appreciate and really need their freedom more than they need their sleep. That's okay. That's really cool, right? I mean, we're all different. That's what makes the world go around, right? But I think that having sensitivity and compassion to people's individual circumstances when it comes to those situations is really, really important. Yeah, your sleep and your child's sleep and the way that you guys support sleep and have sleep foundations in your home is just as individual as each of your pregnancies and your births and your children. Oh yeah. my goodness, this has been such a good conversation. Okay, so Eva, anyone out there who's like, oh my God, this is me. Like my child is overtired. My child won't take more than 30 minute naps. My child... X, Y, and Z, whatever it is, how might they work with you in order to get their child some better sleep? How, where would they find you and, and, and what, what kind of courses do you have to help parents? Yeah. So they can check me out on my website at My Sleeping Baby. And I have a free webinar that they can check out right now called how to get your little one consistently sleeping through the night so that you can be a functioning human. And I take you through the top three biggest mistakes that I see exhausted moms make when trying to get their little one sleeping, as well as my four-part system that I have used personally to help over 2000 moms get their little ones consistently sleeping through the night. So if you want to finally start <laughs> feeling like a functioning human again, definitely check out that webinar. That is amazing. I know there's so many people out there who are like, oh my God, I could definitely use some extra Z's under my belt mm -hmm. in the morning. So you guys, um, we will link that for you down in show notes. And Eva, before we let you go, where can people find you on Instagram? Yeah, my sleeping baby. So come check me out, send me a DM. It's always me answering my DMs. I would love to connect with you all. Heck yeah, and she hangs out in her stories and gives so many good little nuggets of wisdom. So you guys check that out on Instagram and mysleepingbaby.com. And then again, we'll link the uh, webinar in the show notes for you guys. Otherwise, Eva, thank you so much for being with us today and for all of our listeners. Thank you as well. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident. There, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
Please consult your health care provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hehe and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.